Welcome to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT Live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live from WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. While I'm proud of all the programming on all of the Albany Symphony concerts, I was particularly excited about this program, partly because I think it's maybe the most colorful and varied program of the season, but also because, I have to admit, I didn't really design it myself. I was very proud to turn to our good friend and uh, someone whose music we've played a great deal of, the great American composer Christopher Rouse. I actually had Chris sort of co-curate the program with me. It began because I very much wanted to continue a project with Chris that's been kind of ongoing through the past few years. We've been uh, recording a number of his works and recently came out with a beautiful CD of his piano concerto, Seeing, and uh, a fabulous uh, Hindi uh, song cycle called Kabir Padavali, which actually was nominated for a Grammy last year. Sadly, it didn't win, but it was still very exciting to be nominated. So because there's so many great works by Chris Rouse that have not yet been recorded, uh, and we were so excited by those two works, we decided to continue with a second recording project that uh, we embarked on this fall. And it, it began with this beautiful and uh, frankly very uh, joyous and charming oboe concerto. When one thinks of Chris Rouse's music, a lot of it is very dramatic. He's a hyper dramatic, incredibly exciting kind of composer. But this is uh, in his kind of less formidable vein. It's a much more charming and light piece, I think, sort of because the oboe itself is uh, such a charming and, and beautiful instrument. It's a little hard to be terribly portentous or pretentious with the oboe, and so this piece came out to be quite a lovely thing. So we were delighted to welcome the principal oboist of the Baltimore Symphony, Catherine Needleman, who's played the piece a number of times as our soloist, both for the performances and for the recording. Uh, And then the challenge was, what kinds of pieces should we surround this beautiful, relatively new oboe concerto with? And a great number of years ago, when I first came to Albany, one of my earliest years, maybe 20 or 22 years ago, we played another piece of Chris's. It was the first piece the orchestra and I, I think, had ever played of his, a beautiful violin concerto with the great Taiwanese violinist Zhou Liang Lin, Jimmy Lin. At that time, because I was so interested in understanding how composers, particularly our most important and and impressive living American composers, how they evolve their own unique, distinctive language. I thought it would be a great idea to sort of invite Chris to program around the violin concerto different pieces that had a, a, a very deep, lasting influence on his own music. And so it was a great program. It happens Von Williams is a favorite composer of his, so we did a Von Williams piece, and Berlioz is a, a great influence, so we did the Berlioz Roman Carnival Overture, and a beautiful uh, suite from Strauss's opera Der Rosenkavalier, because that was the first piece of music that Chris fell in love with. And the concert, I, I still remember to this day, had been so wonderful and, and scintillating and exciting, and, and really a great window into Chris and his own aesthetic interests, that I decided, you know, some years later now, 20-some years later, to invite Chris to essentially do the same thing again. 
So the program went through a number of iterations because, you know, there were certain pieces he wanted, like Sibelius' Seventh Symphony, which we had played recently, so we had to look at different pieces. And we, we went through different iterations, but I think we came up with a really charming and interesting program and, and an exceedingly varied program. So the concert began with Chris's all-time favorite overture. I should mention that Chris is a distinguished professor at Juilliard and uh, is known to demand that his students listen quite widely. Uh, So this is a piece that Chris always insists his composition students listen to. It's now a a rather obscure piece, but at one time it was a very famous piece. It's the overture by Emil von Reznicek to his operetta, his light opera, Dona Diana. This uh, piece was very, very famous in the 1940s and 50s in America because it was used for a, a famous radio and television show, Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. I think only some of our older listeners will remember that show. But for example, I have a, a board member who was so excited to hear that we were doing Dona Diana because he hadn't heard it for years and he remembered distinctly that that was a theme music for uh, for Sergeant Preston. It's a, As Chris describes it, it's a, an absolutely perfect five-minute overture, not an extraneous note anywhere, concise, succinct, thrilling, and just disarmingly charming. So here it is to open our program, this charming little overture by Reznicek, the overture to Donna Diana. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was the opening work on our program, the Donna Diana Overture by Reznicek. The orchestra was the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. One of the late additions to the program was a, another set of pieces that Chris is exceedingly fond of and that I've always found immensely charming. Again, like the Dona Diana Overture, pieces that at one time were very popular, I don't know how often they appeared on regular subscription concerts because they were always considered, quote, light music. And there was always this strange, or not always, but for many years, there was this kind of strange line in the sand between, quote, serious symphonic music and so-called light, light classical music. These certainly are in the light category, having been written for the Boston Pops by their essentially house composer, the unofficial house composer of the Boston Pops for many, many years, the great Leroy Anderson. Leroy Anderson was a Harvard man and wrote a great number of pieces while a student at Harvard and, and I think stayed close to the Harvard community and at some point was kind of discovered by Arthur Fiedler in the 40s or so and then became just the Fiedler's favorite arranger composer and wrote these fabulous little miniatures all sort of topical and very charming. Among his most famous pieces, of course, Sleigh Ride, the piece, the ubiquitous Christmas piece, uh, and other pieces like Bugler's Holiday and The Typewriter. But we uh, tended toward three, I wouldn't say more obscure, but not nearly as frequently heard pieces, at least today. So we were excited to include these three light classic masterpieces on our subscription concert following Dona Diana. They are first the syncopated clock, second blue tango, a, a major hit of Leroy Anderson's, and finally, one of my absolute favorites, Fiddle Faddle. So here now, three charming little miniatures by the great American Boston-based composer Leroy Anderson, he of the Boston Pops. They are played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. We've just heard three pieces by Leroy Anderson, The Syncopated Clock, Blue Tango, and Fiddle Faddle. They were played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Now, to close the first half of our program, we presented the centerpiece 
of the concert, this oboe concerto by Christopher Rouse that we had built, that Chris and I had built the program around. Uh, The oboe concerto is from 2004. It was commissioned for the Minnesota Orchestra and has been played a great number of times around the country, in Baltimore, out at the Cabrillo Festival in Minnesota, etc. has been played by a number of, of oboists, but I think the oboist who has played it the most is in fact this brilliant oboist who is currently the, the principal oboist of the Baltimore Symphony, Catherine Needleman. She's a charming young woman. I, I had never met her or worked with her before, so I was delighted to have her join us for this piece. She has such incredible depth of knowledge about the piece and is just a, a dazzling virtuoso. I should mention that, as with all of Chris Rouse's pieces, the solo part takes no prisoners. It's uh, it in no way sort of tries to accommodate the difficulties of the instrument. Uh, Chris is kind of famous for this. He He's always interested in exploiting all the possibilities of any instrument for which he writes, but he certainly would never simplify to make it in any way easier for a, a soloist. So this is an extremely, extraordinarily virtuoso part for two reasons. One, the oboe is asked in the, the two fast sections or movements of the piece to play blisteringly fast and just credible numbers of notes in, in incredibly short spans of time. That's one of the difficulties, sort of the obvious difficulty. Uh, and the other difficulty is that in the slower sections of the piece, the oboe is asked to sustain held pitches for seemingly inhuman and certainly inhumane periods of time to the point where uh, Catherine actually does this very specialized technique called circular breathing where she manages to continually breathe out so make sound on the instrument while at the same time through her nose essentially sucking in new uh, new oxygen new air uh, it's a it's a technique that that certain wind players develop in order to be able to sustain uh, very long notes or long passages and fortunately she didn't she didn't faint or <laughs> keel over she's very expert at this technique, but it was quite a feat to see her sustaining some of these longer notes. Uh, the piece is, is a continuous work, but it is designed uh, like a typical concerto in three parts, a fast, kind of rollicking first movement with a beautiful slow introduction that's, you know, maybe about 40 or 50 seconds or a minute at most. Uh, so a charming first section, then a very almost impressionistic, beautiful middle section with a lot of feature for the harp and the, the celesta, that wonderful keyboard glockenspiel-like instrument that Tchaikovsky was the first to deploy in orchestra in the, the dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. But it's not Sugar Plum Fairy music. It's, it's just wonderfully luminous, gorgeous, sort of modern impressionist music. And that leads to a third and final section which is blisteringly fast and incredibly virtuosic and, and wildly exciting, both for the soloist and the orchestra. In terms of following the, the architecture of the piece, it's, it's pretty easy to follow. This beautiful, slow little introduction and then lively music. You'll hear when the music gets fast. That's essentially the first movement. Then when the music finally, after, I don't know, six or seven minutes, uh, calms down and becomes very introspective and slow, you're in the middle movement. And then when it picks up and becomes blisteringly fast, you know you're in the finale. It's a charming and beautiful piece, we really enjoy doing it. Uh, we, we always enjoy playing Chris Rouse's music, not only because it's it's fascinating and deep and I think in, at many points quite, quite beautiful, but because it really exploits the, the possibilities of, of not just the solo instrument, but of, but of all the instruments. It really gives all of our musicians, the wind players, the brass players, the percussion, the strings, all a chance to sort of play at the edge of, of their capabilities. Uh, and that's a very exciting thing. So I must say that, that in the performances, I think the audience also could feel that. There was a real electricity in the hall 
call because they were sort of holding their breath, making sure that we could negotiate this magnificent piece. So here now, from 2004, uh, the great American composer Christopher Rouse's Oboe Concerto, performed by Catherine Needleman Oboe with the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. Our second half was comprised of two beautiful pieces, both pieces and composers having had a great influence on, on Chris Rouse and, and I think the evolution of his, his orchestral palette. Uh, first, uh, one of the most beautiful of Edvard Grieg's pieces. This is the first suite from Peer Gint. Uh, as you probably remember, Peer Gint was a play by Henrik Ibsen that he wrote in the 1860s and uh, in the mid-1870s, I think 1874, he invited Grieg, the greatest Norwegian composer of the day, to create incidental music for this very fanciful, fantastical play poem uh, based on Norwegian folk tales or, or legend about this crazy fellow Peer Gint who adventures and gets into various kinds of trouble but, but really experiences the world in a very broad and almost magical way. And Grieg wrote a great deal of music for this stage production, reputedly almost 90 minutes of music. Before it was even played or performed, uh, he created these two wonderful suites, both fairly brief, about 16 or 17 minutes, of sort of the, the best moments from all this incidental music. While the play is still much performed in, in Scandinavia and particularly in, in Norway, the, the music uh, for Peer Gint has, has really taken on a life of its own and is heard much more frequently away from the play. I should mention also that that I think what attracts Chris Rouse to to this piece, to this music, to Grieg's music, is just the the clarity and the beauty, and and to a certain extent the, the specificity of the orchestration that he uses instruments like a, a really elegant painter, in that every instrument has a very distinctive and distinct tone color, and uh, he puts the different sounds of the instruments on his musical canvas in the most elegant and organized way. So it's never blurred. It's never hard to understand. It's just always so pure and brilliant and and clear from an orchestral color perspective, and nowhere more so than in this gorgeous suite. There are four movements in the suite. They're all pretty famous and, and just gorgeous. First, Morning Mood, a beautiful uh, sort of waking up at, at dawn, featuring particularly the flute and the woodwinds. Then a gorgeous piece for strings, The Death of Asse, Piergin's Mother, very touching and introspective, and, and, and again, very Scandinavian, very Norwegian in a way, in that it's not hard on the sleeve emotion, but it's just very pure and beautiful and, and direct emotion. Then a, a charming, almost Eastern piece, Anitra's Dance, again for strings. And finally, one of the most famous of all of Grieg's compositions, In the Hall of the Mountain King. I should mention that this amazing Hall of the Mountain King, which is you know one of the, the famous, most famous scary pieces in all of the repertoire, was originally uh, for, for voices. And so you actually can hear recordings. There's a great Nima Yarvi recording with full chorus, and at the end, the terrible goblins and such in the Hall of the Mountain King sort of scream, and it's quite extraordinary. But it's it's also equally extraordinary without the voices, that, that so much of the drama in this piece is in the, the pure instrumental music. So here now, a beautiful work by Edvard Grieg, the Piergint Suite Number no. 1. It's performed by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion and WMHT.org. 
the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. That was uh, The Suite Number 1 from Pure Gint by Edvard Grieg. The orchestra was the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. I must say that the final work is by a, a composer who's not only a favorite of Chris Rouse's and a favorite of mine, but also was a great favorite of Grieg's, none other than the great Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky, who, it turns out, was a great friend of Grieg and a huge fan of Grieg's. You know, Tchaikovsky, uh, although he was this uh, this Russian figure, he, he made a number of trips to Western Europe uh, uh, through his career and was much uh, celebrated there and met all of the great composers and figures, musical figures of the day, some of whom, you know, were critical of the fact that his music was so so fabulously accessible. I think certain German composers and critics frowned a bit on, on the accessibility of Tchaikovsky's music, but others really embraced him. And I must say that he and Grieg sort of embraced each other as kindred spirits. They both valued very similar things in music, direct emotion, beautiful orchestration, uh, a sort of purity and elegance uh, that, that they share. So uh, Tchaikovsky and, uh, and Grieg were great mutual admirers of each other and really great great friends, even though they didn't spend a lot of time together. They met many times and and, uh, they had a correspondence that was quite beautiful and stayed, I think, very close in a way. This last piece on the program is a piece that I was very excited to do. It's one of the, the few major tone poems of Tchaikovsky that I had never conducted before. It's the, the great Francesca da Rimini, a very dark and dramatic and powerful piece, surprisingly far less popular, I guess, with audiences than Romeo and Juliet, kind of hard to... to, I have been puzzling over that question of why Romeo is so much more popular. No doubt the the thematic material, the fact that it's based on Shakespeare and everybody has read or knows the story of the ill-fated lovers and Francesca's a somewhat more rarefied story. And also perhaps that that Francesca's a little bit more unremittingly dark and perhaps not as nuanced as Romeo and Juliet. But but this is a piece that's much loved by conductors and by orchestras and and I think the audience members who know it uh, love it because it is so hyper Tchaikovskyan. It's so hyper dramatic and so hyper emotional. Uh, so it's been recorded by virtually all the great conductors who whoever played any of Tchaikovsky's music, and I, I was delighted that the orchestra and I could perform it. It's for a fairly big orchestra in that it doesn't just have the usual two trumpets, but it has two trumpets plus two cornets. It gives it this bigger, almost band-like feeling at certain places and lots of percussion and very dramatic. It's a depiction of the story of Francesca da Rimini, of course. Uh, and if you remember, uh, she was one of the people that Dante and Virgil meet on their journey through through the various circles of, of hell in the Inferno, the second circle of hell, to be precise. She is guilty of the crime of having loved the wrong man. She was, uh, the story goes that she was forced to marry an older man whom she didn't love and who was abusive and difficult, and she falls in love with his younger brother, Paolo. And uh, while reading the tale of King Arthur, they reach the point where Guinevere and Lancelot share a kiss, and they too share their own kiss, and the brother walks in and slays them both. And they are damned to spend all of eternity in this second circle of purgatory in this unbelievable maelstrom of, of wind and, and raging uh, weather, sort of locked in this eternal kiss. I, I've always felt like, well, if you... 
if you're Francesca and you have to die, what better place to, to be stuck for all eternity than still kissing Paolo? But I guess it's not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, anyway, the, the tone poem is quite fascinating and wonderful in that it's not just the tale of Francesca. It's really the tale of Dante and Virgil traveling down through the circles of, of purgatory until they find Francesca, meeting her, and then traveling back up to earth. So it's, a, again, a sort of ABA construction, very, frankly, easy to follow, slow introduction, but then the music becomes ever more wild, and, and you have this sense of unbelievable, tempestuous music, and, and the way Tchaikovsky describes it is these, these swirling sort of human forms who are stuck in this in this maelstrom of terrifying wind and, and raging weather. And they eventually come through this after about seven minutes of, of unbelievably compelling and dramatic music depicting terrifying weather. And they come to this place where Francesca is. And, and in the, you'll know you're there because the music finally subsides and the solo clarinet rises up and, and sings possibly the most beautiful of all of Tchaikovsky's most beautiful melodies. It's one of those melodies that you just can't even believe a human being thought of it. And it's, it's got a, not only is it, is it beautiful, but it, it sort of extends in a strange and beautiful way and allowing him to create a great deal of development around it. So the whole middle of the, of the piece, about nine or ten minutes, is really the, the exploration of this beautiful Francesca theme. So it, it's not really narrative in that it doesn't tell you about Francesca, but it's almost like it's expository in that it's this complete exploration of this theme which is, in essence, Francesca. And then we leave Francesca, and through this, once again, back to the incredible dramatic maelstrom, they return back to to Earth, to the the surface of the Earth. So uh, an incredibly dramatic and exciting piece, and uh, one that we really enjoyed encountering. Uh, This is the final work on this program that's a tribute to the great Christopher Rouse, uh, a work that's very close to his heart and to mine, Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky's Francesca da Rimini. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Thanks for listening to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller of the Albany Symphony Orchestra from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.